quick note at the top to tell you we had some dropout issues a couple times when we recorded this episode. So you'll hear me pop back in later on on this mic to summarize little bits of the conversation that did not get recorded properly. Cool, cool. Let's get into the app. Hello there, gentle listeners. Welcome to Buffyverse Comic Book Club, where we are reading and discussing Buffyverse comics in mostly chronological order. I'm Emily. And I'm Sam. And we're still recording in my living room, so you can still pretend you're here with us when you hear background noise. I'm a little less nervous this time than last time, so we can only hope it takes us less than three hours to do this this time. We're reading some more tales of the Slayers and also some tales of the vampires today. First up, we have Some Like It Hot, written by Sam Loeb, who is the son of Jeff Loeb. And was 16 when he wrote this, and sadly passed away at 17 from bone cancer. Oh shit, really? Yeah, this is one of the two comics he wrote. Whoa. This, and then a Superman-Batman. And then it was penciled by Tim Sale, who's a longtime collaborator with Jeff Loeb. And inked and colored also by Sale. Some Like It Hot uh, originally was published in issue 5 of the Tales of the Vampires miniseries, Uh, That came out in April 2004, and that miniseries was collected in the paperback Tales of the Vampires in November 2004. And then, just like with the Tales of the Slayers, the Tales of the Vampires are collected in the 2011 hardcover Tales and the 2018 paperback Omnibus Tales. So, my first note that I had was Sweeney Todd-looking dude. Okay. However, I have a question now. Yes. Um, was Sweeney Todd a vampire? That is not the question I had. Oh. The question I have... I was going to say page 181, but that's that not what you're looking at. Me, that means no. nothing to you. But on the first page of this story, there's... A mention of 99 cent sushi bar in Vegas. In this story? Yes. Go to the first page. I'll have to look again. Yeah. Oh yeah, like the food poisoning after eating the 99 cent sushi at a bar in Vegas. You can't escape it and there's never any relief. This implies that this vampire never dies. This vampire is kicking around today. So he's narrating this story from... Sometime in the future. Yep. Um, well, I mean, at least there, since Vegas has been around. Yeah, I mean there are obviously other. Uh, there are other Tales of the Vampires stories that take place significantly after the framing story, the frame story, whatever. So this vampire goes to see this Sweeney Todd-looking dude and this nurse with sick melons. Okay, wait, what is up with the eyeball situation? What do you mean? Like, what is happening? The giant eyeballs in the tank? Yeah. I think that's sick. I don't (laughs) see the problem. Would you not have giant eyeballs in a tank behind you? There's also a lot of skulls and candles. Yeah, because he's a mad scientist. (laughs) He's creating monsters in his lab. 
He's like uh, the Ramones. They make monsters for their friends. It's a thing. Look it up. Okay. This vampire is getting his heart removed like James and Heartthrob in season three of Angel uh, so that he can not get burned up by the sun, which apparently in Buffyverse vampire lore, if you get your heart removed and not staked, you can go out in the sun for 24 hours. But this Sweeney Todd looking guy and his nurse with sick melons, they have devised a way to keep the vampire alive beyond that 24 hour window with some kind of silver device. Yeah, I think it's just like it's a robotic heart. You know, it's still... He's an android. Yes. (laughs) Or he's a cyborg, technically, but yeah. Okay, he's a cyborg. What's an android? Looks like a human, but it's a robot. Okay. Cyborg is part human, part robot. Yeah, it's a robotic heart, which makes me wonder if nowadays... Did you just give a vampire peacemaker? A peacemaker? I would say a pacemaker, but I've been watching too much TV. I don't know. You know? I wonder. Slash, it makes me wonder, what do vampires' hearts do? What do they do? Well, according to this comic, they somehow keep them functioning. Yes, they must pump blood. We see them bleed all the time. Yeah, but their hearts don't beat. I think that's a lie. Oh. You think they're lying to us? I think their hearts beat because they're pumping blood. They get, like, hit. They're bleeding. Mm -hmm. They're supposedly cold to the touch, but yeah, right. Yeah, right. They just got cold blood. They're like reptiles. Yeah. Anyway. The thing is with the robotic (laughs) heart, he has to drink blood every once in a while to keep it going. Needs to be sustained. Clearly, it works very well because he's getting sushi in las vegas anyway vampire's procedure is complete he gets off the table and what does he do he eats the nurse with the sick melons and the doctor is fine with it yeah because his wife was gonna find out about her soon anyway yep fucked up it is fucked up he goes out in the sun. He likes it for a couple minutes. I thought that was kind of cute. I was like, oh, how nice for him. Yes. And they decide <laughs> it's too hot and he needs a drink. You know, it was kind of hot today. I, I, I get where he's coming from. I'm looking down at my notes. And you get to see him sweat. Yeah. That's interesting. Vampires that's sweat. Did you know that? Yeah, dude. I've seen angels sweat so, it's so much. so wild. See, their bodies Do you remember don't graduation day? Do you remember graduation day? Unfortunately. And the just waterfalls of sweat. Yuck. <laughs> yes, we also see Spike sweat. Not as intensely. What about that episode, uh, the intense scene with Spike? You know what I mean, the intense one. You have to help me with more details than this. He doesn't, was he doesn't have a shirt on. You know, he's kind of having the, like, split personality thing going on. I don't think he sweats. I'm he sorry. Does. We could watch that. We don't have to. <laughs> you don't want to watch it. I, I don't know if I need to see shirtless Spike right now. Oh. I don't think he sweats. I think he does. This is a terrible argument. We can probably cut this whole part, you know. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> um, 
Do you have anything else to say about some like it hot? Other yeah. than sick melons. <laughs> I did forget to mention that it's named after a very classic Marilyn Monroe film, which is a fun thing to note. I wonder what inspires anyone to do this. Well, he's probably getting paid bad money. You think? Yeah. 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 He wants power and money and fame and fortune. Let's look at his little operating room laboratory. He's got shit in a trunk. Also... He's putting his hands on his face, his bloody gloves all up in his face. Kind of gross. Yeah, but I don't think he cares. It's vampire blood. Free of disease. I suppose that's fair. Oh, yo. If he is when he's putting the blood up to his face, if he drinks some of the blood and the vampire bites him, wouldn't he turn into a vampire? I think... He'd have to drink a lot more than what's on his clothes. That's too bad. Sure. Maybe he wants to be a little vamp. So this guy, I guess, went on to live for a a while. Long enough for sushi bars in Vegas, whenever that is. Yeah. Should I look up when was... Yeah, look it up. 99 cent sushi bars in Vegas. First sushi bar Vegas. That's what I'm looking up. It doesn't have to be... 99 cent. Yeah, it does. Nope. Don't care. Hmm. 1967 was the first sushi bar in Vegas. Okay. So, like, probably 150 years at least. Yeah, it worked out well for him. That's it. I'm replacing my heart. I'm ready. Do you turn to dust in the sun now? Yep. Oh. That sounds very difficult. Anyways, next up we have Presumption from Tales of Slayers, written by Jane Espenson. Is that how you say it? Do you know? I think I've always said Espenson. Well, she was a writer on Buffy. Yes. Wrote 22 episodes. Yes. One of the Buffy episodes, she wrote Storyteller. I'm just saying that because that's one you like. I was yeah, looking to see okay. if there were ones that you really like. <laughs> that she did. She that's did a cool. bunch of them. And that's she wrote one. a bunch. Also, Double Meat Palace. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> and then Drawn by P. Craig Russell, who's great. He works with uh, Neil Gaiman a lot, has done a lot of adaptations of Neil Gaiman's work. And is known for doing a very, like, classic fantasy art style. Great. Did you say the th- all the things? You said all the people? I said Jane Espenson and P. Craig Russell. I did not say the colorist. Mm. That was Laverne Kanzierski. Okay, so. It's 1813 and Catherine and her sister are going to a party. And there's blocks of narration about ladies going to parties and at the party there's this mysterious guy named Edward Weston who isn't really talking to people but he dances with Catherine and the narration suggests at least I think it it's intended to make you think that 
Catherine is a slayer and Edward Weston is a vampire and she's going to have to slay him at some point in the next couple pages. Yeah, with that in mind that, like, one's a vampire, one might be a slayer, it works very well for them to be, like, kind of flirtatious because it's like they're trying to get close to kill each other. It's like that movie. Uh, Mr. Movie? and Mrs. Smith. Oh. What about the spies? I haven't seen that. Oh. Hmm. Very good. Okay. But there's a lot of like fight scenes where it's like, are they going to kill each other or are they going to make out? Hmm. You don't know. That's what it Why feels like. Why was she like kneeling on the floor at one point? I was like, get the fuck up, Catherine. That's weird. I don't know. I gotta look. Oh, I see it. <laughs> She's asking for forgiveness. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to... Maybe in old times that's what you'd do. I would not kneel for forgiveness, but... I can't speak for the 1800s. I got a little bit annoyed when Edward Weston was like, I'm going to pour the punch for you, Catherine. Don't pour your own punch. I was like, let her pour her own punch. I think she can do it. Again, <laughs> this is the 1800s we're talking about. He's trying to be, like, uh, charming. Things were not the same. They weren't? What? <laughs> oh, my God. Hot news, gentle listeners. 1800s. Things were not the same as they are now. Like, <laughs> I guess I get why you'd be annoyed but I just didn't even register because I'm like oh if I were in the 1800s I wouldn't let women get their own punch either that's not what I'm saying that's at exactly all that's exactly what you're <laughs> no, saying no I'm not that's messed up what I am saying was uh it makes sense for when the story takes place then I did like when Catherine said I see no point in waiting until I have made a friend to insult him I thought Catherine was cool. Yeah. It seemed like uh, your kind of person. Maybe so. And we have Edward playing cards with his brother and saying this thing about reconsidering his approach. It's like, hmm, what does that mean? And then he invites Catherine out onto the terrace or whatever the fuck. Yes, the terrace. And then... I like the twist. I think it's really fun. Yes. Um, I do think that, like, if it had been, like, the if the layout were different, it might be better because as it is, like, you, it's just on the facing page and you can see that she is being dusted. Yeah, well, you just gotta not look at that page. <laughs> just every time you turn the page, just be like, no. <laughs> Yeah, you just gotta train your eyes. <laughs> or else you're getting everything spoiled. Um. One thing I do not Hi, it's me, on this mic. This is where we lost a little bit of audio. The thing Sam did not like is that Edward is drawn very differently on the last page of Presumption after the Slayer vampire reveal compared to previous pages. Face and body shape, very different. Yeah, so the reveal is when they go out on the terrace, turns out 
Edward Weston is actually a slayer and Catherine is actually a vampire. Edward states Catherine, she's dust. And then we have the last page with, well, what is happening here? Why did he, uh, why did he abandon his coat? I think he's just running away and it fell off. <laughs> How does he run? I don't understand. But so things I really enjoy about it are the, like, before they go on the terrace, the way they go out to the terrace is being like, it's off limits to unburied lady and gentlemen. You claim you chafe for freedom, how much you want it. And then it's doing this whole, like, thing where it's talking about how there's so many limitations to the way people saw women in that time period and whatnot, and how the Slayer decided to live life as a man to get around that. Because also there's the Watcher being like, did you get her, Miss Elizabeth? And then going, Edward, always Edward. I think that was interesting. It's definitely Edward's Watcher, and the cover is the Watcher being the brother. I think that's kind of cute and sweet. I feel like that's... I agree. That's like an amount of trust about, like identity and like experience of identity Mm -hmm. man okay like looking at that last page and like how the slayer is drawn so differently on this last page and then also um i like don't know what pronouns make sense to apply to this because it would appear that this slayer intentionally moves through the world as a man and yet, on this last page, there's quite a lot of she happening. I agree. So I'll I'll just call this person Edward, I guess. And this this last line, saying, um, "Dreams and regrets dwell far beneath, and really, who are we to guess at those?" I am wondering if that is. Like, is that more about, like, Edward missing out on, like, traditional womanhood? Or is it more about, like, the hardship of being a slayer? And are we drawing... Like, is too bold a line being drawn, perhaps, between the two, like, in a sort of... Like, I think on the show, there's sort of, like, a kind of... I guess maybe the word would be, like, essentialist gender rhetoric almost happening with, like, the, with, like, the Slayer line, like, representing, Mm -hmm. like, oh, like, like, yes, the inherent power and capability of women and whatever. And so, like, is that ending just more of that kind of thing? Also, I'm wondering, was Edward living life? as a man before being called as a slayer here's my thoughts on okay the dream regrets dwell far beneath and really so that panel has edward who i believe i believe it's edward as a woman dancing with a man yeah that's sort of what i was thinking but then we get the next panel is who are we to guess at those and there's the dust blowing and the moon and everything. And it makes me kind of feel like, did the Slayer really want that? No. That's how I feel about it. Like, okay. I feel like it's more of a, 
like, oh, maybe, no. You know? I like that. Yeah. But also what's kind of weird about that panel is the way that P. Craig Russell draws it. The dude looks kind of like the Watcher. To me. It's a weird thing that they slide into some of these stories. I don't like it. But I'd prefer them as brothers, so I'm going to not yeah, read I think it that that's way. Yeah, I'm... I also just noticed on one of the panels, Edward looks kind of like Draco Malfoy. Or he looks like the actor. I feel like I had Malfoy. that thought at one point as well. Yeah. The fan cast of this comic <laughs> features... Tom Felton. Tom Felton's a little too old now. You're de-aging technology. True. Fair. <laughs> fair. CGI his goddamn face. Oh, jeez. Uh, oh, another one of my notes was Empire Wastes on Those Dresses. What? That's not useful in any way, but I did write it down. I don't know what that means. The... The dresses. <laughs> it just looks like you're like sawing yourself in half. <laughs> the dresses. It's like when magicians do that the thing where they cut someone in half. Is like right under the tits. Okay. It's empire waist. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just so you know. I did not know. Well, now you know. I'll try and retain that. Anyways, you ready? For the next one. Yeah. Okay. So next up, we have The Glittering World, written by David Fury, who is also a writer on both Buffy and Angel, and penciled by Steve Lieber, who's most well known for doing Whiteout with Greg Rucka, and that was adapted into a movie. He wrote Go Fish. Nice. Mm -hmm. He also wrote Salvage, the angel up where Faith comes back in okay. season four. He also uh, did some other shit. What else did he do? What did he want to do that I don't like? Oh, he wanted to bring back Doyle as a villain. Well, something that he did that I think was pretty bad was this comic that we're about to talk about. Visually and tonally, I enjoy it, but yeah. It's, I don't know. Uh, very hashtag problematic. I would assume, yeah. Um, when I was first looking at this comic months ago, like my my little journey I went on was like, okay, I don't know how to like read or speak the Navajo language, and I'm assuming no one working on this comic does either. And like just looking at the Slayer's name, I was like, okay, is this an actual name? Like, is this an actual Navajo name? Or is it just an attempt at like approximating a Navajo name you know what mm -hmm. I mean like was it just like a string of letters and they're like okay yeah that'll do that seems 
like it looks like an indigenous person's name. So I looked it up and then I discovered that I don't know if this is better or worse than what I was thinking at first. But it is just directly copied from Navajo folklore. There's, I guess, a series of stories. I am not in any way an expert on Navajo legends, but I think it's part of some creation mythology and other stories, but there are twin brothers. Uh, One of them is a monster slayer, and this comic just directly pulls that, but makes that figure a vampire slayer and the twin a vampire. And I really, I just really think that it's not in the spirit of the Navajo story. And I think they did a really not good thing here. And I'm just remembering this is supposed to be happening like in the place that became Sunnydale, which is like approximately Santa Barbara. And I, months ago when I was first looking at this, I did try looking up like what areas, like what land is Navajo land or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, As far as I could tell, not Santa Barbara. So this is very much like, I don't know, like what the hell was he thinking? I have, I have a lot of questions, I guess, is what I'm saying. And really no expertise, just uh, enough intuition and curiosity to be like, hmm, and then hit the internet and be looking things up. Um, So, yeah. Navajo, I'm looking at a map of it. And historical Navajo lands are in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. Kind of like in a clump where all those borders are. Mm-hmm. And where they meet. So they could have traveled to Santa Barbara, but it was, it was a trek. I mean, obviously they can... They can go to places. Yeah. People can go to places. But it's not like the complete opposite side of the country. It is just one state over, at least. Yeah. So that's probably what he was thinking. Hopefully. If he did any research. I have no clue. Who knows what he was thinking. I don't know. He was not thinking enough. I think he should have done some more thinking and not done this. Probably. I will absolutely throw some stuff in the show notes anyone wants to you know read or hear stories that these names are stolen from and speaking of names i do not know how to pronounce these names and i tried listening to video of someone reading a story in navajo about these twins and i just could not catch it well enough so i will just say Slayer. Yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce either one. It is hard to look up. Yeah, if you look if you look it up like if you if you look it up like the top result is this fucking comic, which kinda blows. But that's not to say we're like entitled to lots of information about like indigenous cultural stories and practices and things. Just just wish um, David Fury didn't uh, write this, mostly. This is not yeah. a good thing. And we haven't even like talked about the comic itself yet, but I do want to note that 
So this Tales of the Slayers came out in 2002, like mid-season six of Buffy. So the musical episode was out already. And Buffy sings a song in the musical episode called Something to Sing About. And part of that song has the lyrics, Whistle while you work so hard all day to be like other girls to fit in in this glittering world. And I am wondering when the comic was conceptualized and whether the glittering world, like language, bled over into Joss's writing of the musical because looking up that like term the glittering world it's just a lot of Navajo stuff okay so yeah I wonder I don't know it's kind of bad I think yeah I wonder if Jade Free has any connection to it or if he just uses decide to use it it's probably just deciding to use it but I don't know anything about David Fury I mean, probably not. But I do wonder, yes. I think Steve Lieber's art is very strong in this issue, Mm -hmm. though. I do also like the way that the Slayer strolled into town. It's very classic, like, Mm Western-style story. Mm -hmm. Oh, what I wanted to discuss, or maybe not discuss, but, like, briefly mention... For me, it's page 47. I do not know if that helps you. Okay, give me more. She's just walked into the saloon. Okay. And in the middle of the page, there's the panel that has, like, glump, but it's, like, very cut off. off. Like, it's, like, that sound is happening, but, like... (laughs) I think it was, uh, Steve Lieber drew it, put the words in there, and then, uh, the editor... Ooh. Or someone did a bad job cropping it. That's rough. Yes. I think there's art in these pages that we are not seeing because of the way it got formatted. Mm. And there's things getting cut off. That is so sad. Also, the use of a bow and arrow to take out the vampires. Hi, it's me again on this mic to tell you that Sam liked the bow and arrow usage in this comic because on the shows, those don't get used very much. Okay, that's all. Bye. Like, we see some crossbows, but not as often as you'd think. Anyway, we're not doing a very good job describing what's happening, but she, this slayer goes into this town, saloon full of vampires. She's looking... For her sister. Yeah, she's looking for a twin. And she finds her twin. And her twin's all pissed. The twin killed the Slayer's Watcher. She's all like, one less white man. It's like, honestly, whatever, sure, fine. Um, and then there's like this comparison of like, being a Slayer, being in some way related to like having a mixed race identity and how you're like damned because of it and do not fit in anywhere um and the line this glittering world is no more yours than it was mine and i'm just it's not making a good impression on me i think that's fair i mean it's very rough being written by 
a white guy in the year like 2001 2002 right it's not really his story to tell yeah i feel like it's like um it's one of those situations of find and credit a consultant of some kind or write something else and I guess if you apply that to writing literally anything outside your own personal experience, then it turns into, like, a hoop to jump through. Like, of course you can write things that are not things that you have personally experienced. Like, you can. But this yeah. is, like, such a, like, specific and, like, honestly kind of alarming, like, swipe from, like, a specific people's cultural storytelling. But it's, like, this is... He can't just be doing this. Except he can, because he did. So recently, in a Marvel comic, King Conan 3, both the writer and artist, they made the decision to use a character that was named after Pocahontas's traditional name and made her, like... Gave her, like, a weird, like, sexual outfit that's really rough. And her whole, like, part in the story is really rough. And they got in a lot of trouble for it. And it's not... It, in the reprint, the character is getting renamed and redrawn. And in the trades and everything, they're getting renamed and redrawn. And that was just, like, another case of people being like, Oh, we can just use this character and it'll be fine. Or, like, we can just use this person and not acknowledge any of the, like, cultural things behind it. And, again, it's like... They shouldn't be doing it. it. Happens a lot in comics. Happens a lot in media in general. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I agree. There should have been, there should have been like a Navajo consultant like, to be did, like, no, like, don't do this. No one at any point was like, eh, David Fury. This seems kind of. Mm. Probably not. No. Nobody went. Hmm. <laughs> it's probably like a group of like six people. A group of six white men. <laughs> probably yeah. Ugh. But yeah, anyway, the twins fight. The Slayer kills her twin, but then she goes and dies on her horse because she's wounded. Yes, they kill each other. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing about the end of this. So we have, like, this thing about, like, um, about, like, death going on. Like, is death in this context, in this comic meant to be like vampires and demons and evil or perhaps it is about like a slayer is not going to live very long she is destined to die quite young and then that's the only way another slayer can take her place and so like death is inevitable i think it works because i think it's just saying that forever the slayers and the vampires are fated to kill one another that death will just keep going on between the two. Well, you didn't let me finish. Sorry. Because this is just pulled from a Navajo legend that is not about that at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, like the the Slayer encounters cold, poverty, hunger, and death as like people because it's a legend. So there, like, there's a person who is death, and there's a person who is hunger. You know what I mean? And like, she, she's well in the in the legend, the twins are boys. So he uh, is going to kill them 
but then like for example hunger like argues that like well if there was no hunger then like there would be no joy in like feasting because mm-hmm. you'd be hungry um and you wouldn't have satisfaction from eating food and he's like okay i will allow you to live and for death death says uh, if you slay me your people will never increase the worthless old men will not die and give up their places to the young. Let me live and your young men will marry and have children. I am your friend, though you know it not. And then the slayer replies, I will let you live, my grandmother. So it's like just such a like starkly different vibe from like, what David Fury is trying to twist it into. And also, I mean, this is just one version yeah, of the legend, and I will throw it in the show notes. I was just poking around. I was just poking around online and trying to get some sense of what was happening here, and I will throw it in the show notes. So that's what I've got in my notes. Oh! And then, and then, of course, of course it gets... It gets um, so much, uh, you know, better because the person who is telling the story is a fucking priest, like a Christian minister. I hate it. And he's telling it to Richard Wilkins, who is going to found Sunnydale on that spot. What a delight. I've said this with other comics. I would like to read it without any of the words. Because mm. I think the art looks kind of cool. And like the paneling and the pacing and everything. It's very well done. It's a very well drawn comic. The artist did a very good job. But I do wish. It was about something else. Yes. <laughs> or like executed far differently. Um I feel like we've started with some doozies. Some of them, yeah. Yeah. This is major doozy, I think. Anything about the first Slayer tends to be a little bit of a doozy as well. So we had some doozying last time. But this, yikes. If anybody has any thoughts, knows anything more about Navajo legend than we do, would love to hear you tear this comic to shreds. Or alternatively, like maybe you think it's fine. I don't know. We're a couple of white people who've lived in the same part of the country forever. So our knowledge base is not incredibly large. All right, we're going to finish this episode up with uh, another tale of a vampire. And you can read this one in Tales of the Vampires Part 2. Two, or in the Tales of the Vampires paperback, or in Tales or Tales Omnibus. All right. So up next we have Jack, written by Brett Matthews, who is an assistant to Joss Whedon and worked on Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and then wrote some of the Serenity comics. Penciled by Vache Mavlion who, from what I can see, mostly did, like, fill-in issues here and there. He's did the Fall of Cthulhu comic, and the Marvel Knights Spider-Man Wolverine comic, 
which was actually also with Brett Matthews. Well. So, I guess. Biffs. They work together. Friends. Who knows? It's London. And it's November of 1888. I liked the art in this one. I think that's really cool. Like, I feel like the reds, like, really pop because of how sort of, like, muted the color palette is. Mm-hmm. I like the art a lot. Parts of it feel very simple in a way, but then it really, like, pops when there is a lot of detail. And it very much it fits the vibe of the comic. It feels very, like, gothic horror-style art. Yeah, it, it feels like um, a comic about vampires in London in 1888. It looks the part. Mm-hmm. It's good. Like it, it reminds me of like From Hell, which is like the big Jack the Ripper graphic novel. Hmm. I'm not familiar with it. It's written by Alan Moore, drawn by Eddie Campbell, who I love. Eddie Campbell's amazing. What 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 else did they do? Alan Moore's the comic writer that everyone reads. He did Watchmen. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. Yes, okay. he did Watchmen. He did V for Vendetta. You're such a jerk. <laughs> He's the one everyone Wait, No, it's true. <laughs> it's like when you're 14 and you're like, hmm, what's a graphic novel? Someone hands you an Alan Moore one. Like, they just hand you Watchmen. They're like, oh, this is what a graphic novel is, you know? It's pretty good. I, I'll admit, I like it a lot. But, you know, it is the one everyone reads. That's not that mean. Anyways, they did From Hell, which uh, is the, like, if you want to read a Jack the Ripper graphic novel, that's the one to read. All right. Okay. So, the constable brings news to Superintendent Mallory, who passes it along to Inspector James Whitcomb, about there having been another murder by Jack the Ripper. The story follows the detective... Him investigating and going through his notes to catch Jack the Ripper. Well, they go and they investigate, and um, I really liked the part where James Whitcomb puts his umbrella up, even though it's not raining anymore. I liked that. Mm. I liked this comic a lot, actually, although I do find it so... I guess I can hardly say it's weird, because it's very common. So I guess I just, I find it very interesting that there's so much, like, various kinds of fiction about Jack the Ripper. There's so much. It's in everything. In the past, like, two years, I've seen, like, four different shows that had Jack the Ripper episodes. Yeah. And he was never caught. Mm Mm-hmm. So it just, like, leads to a lot of speculative things, and it's very easy to fit in, like, oh, he was this. Oh, he was that. Oh, you would call this speculative fiction? (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean That's not what I mean But you know what I mean This speculative comic But it just It opens it up for you to slide whatever you want In As Jack the Ripper Like oh Jack the Ripper was a demon Oh he was a vampire Oh he was an alien Oh he was a werewolf Anything Oh, Jack the Ripper was actually Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. What was that in? Hyde being Jack the Ripper? I have no idea. I watched something where that was part of it. Anyways, it works very well to do whatever story you want. So yeah, he realizes he knows where to find Jack. Yes. So off he goes. And he knows he's a vampire. 
he had it figured it out. When he confronts Jack, it turns out he himself is a vampire. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was a fun twist. Yep, I thought it worked really well. I thought it was fun that, like, for the same episode, we read this and Presumption, where it's, like, fun vampire reveals. With this one, though, they made it very obvious. Like, if you were paying attention to the art. Because the whole time, everything's, like, kind of muted, and then he's wearing all red. You're like, okay. Red blood vampire. Because he's just wearing this bright red, and that's such a visual cue of vampire. Yeah? Also, I think it's interesting because doesn't the show have an episode to do with Angel in Jack the Ripper? No. Like in one of the flashbacks? Look up the episode Somnambulist. What? S-O-M-N-A-M-B. Oh, I found it. Oh, the one with uh, Jeremy Renner? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. That could be it. Uh, someone has a Buffy vs. Headcan in the Angels Jack the Ripper. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's fanfic. Probably. So they have a little fight, and James stakes Jack with the umbrella. Yes, that's what happens. And James says, I've just made you famous. Yeah, because he's never caught. Mm-hmm. Leading to all that speculative fiction. Broad category of fiction encompassing genres elements that do not exist in reality, recorded history, nature, or the present universe. (laughs) So it fits to go Jack the Ripper, being a vampire, speculative fiction. Jack's clothes are left behind. I have questions. It was a style choice because it looks cooler than if the clothes disappear, I think. It's like uh, in Blade. That doesn't help me. You really gotta watch Blade. It's kind of like this. It's got vampires. That's all it takes. <laughs> you know? That's all it takes. It's pretty similar. It's got vampires. Wow. And then on, on the last page, Inspector okay. tells Superintendent that he wants off the case. And he says that he doesn't think they'll ever find Jack the Ripper because... He's in the wind. Because he's dust. Um, I, when I was reading, I thought, I feel like it was a little overdramatic in places. Like, I can imagine it being, like, in, like, a dark and dramatic British voiceover. And then at that point, it's like, oh, yeah, you can say anything. <laughs> oh, the this was dramatic. And I can't keep myself from wondering, Jack, can you feel me coming? Like, that was very dramatic. Have you ever watched a detective movie? Do you think I watch a lot of detective movies? That's your problem. <laughs> you gotta watch a detective movie. Come on. Okay. I think it's time to be done now. So that's those. Uh, if you have any hate mail or hot takes... You should email us at buffyversecomicbookclub at gmail.com. For next time, we're reading Spike vs. Dracula Part 1, in addition to the Angel miniseries Barbary Coast. And we're also going to be talking about the little 
frame story that runs through the Tales of the Vampires miniseries. Hi, it's me again on this mic. This time there wasn't actually a dropout here. I just totally forgot to tell you our social media handle. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we are Buffy Comics Pod. And also, we have a website, BuffyVerseComicBookClub.com. Okay, cool. That's it for me. Bye.